so let me talk about Kyle for just a second. A couple things. He was totally going to come here tonight. And I stepped in for you and for me. <laughs> Maybe especially for me. But I stepped in for me and I stepped in for you. And I said, you will not bring your flu germs to this place, okay? Dear goodness. He was not. But here's, here's why he wanted to come so badly. It's because he loves you. And he works so hard at what he communicates to you. And so, you know, I thought, well, I've been, I, I think, a mentor to Kyle. Uh, you know, I'm like his pastor, and we're, we're good friends. And so I thought, man, I'll just look. Hey, man, you just pass it off. You just hand it off to me. I'll run, I'll run right through the hole, man. You just give, just give me the ball. And, uh, and he was like, no, no, you're not doing that. So that guy was like, right, you are not taking over this Loveology series. And so I, he was so confident about it that he must have something just good for you next week. And so I'm pumped for what that is. But I asked him uh, if I had the, the freedom to stay semi within this series. And so we're still keeping it within Loveology. We're just not going to go in the same order. And we're going to bring what I feel like has to come at some point in a series called Loveology. And that's we got to look at the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so that's where we're going to be tonight. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up there. We're, we're going to make our way through the text. <clears throat> I really felt sad for Kyle. He, really, he was extremely sick. He was almost running 104 on Monday. So that's... That is, that is rough. That is rough when you're an adult. So anyway, all that to say, boy was sick, okay? And, uh, and so, so when we, we talked about it, I mean, I was, you know, I was hoping he would get better, but we didn't really confirm until like, you know, like yesterday afternoon about what was going to be happening tonight. And so what you're getting from me, I, I want to make sure I'm clear to you. This is not some rushed prep or, you know, or, some, or something I'm just, you know, on the fly trying to bring you. But it is something extremely raw. And when I say that, I, I mean it this way. I'm at the point in my life and in my faith where I'm just not going to say stuff just because it sounds okay. Like, I'm just not going to do it. And so even if it's something that, like, uh, you know, like, I'm not going to redo a message if I don't feel it in my heart, if I don't feel passionate about what I'm saying, I'm just not going to say it. And, and so, and so what, I, what I did instead was I was like, okay, I don't have much time, but, but Lord, teach me. Teach me that all the things, that, like the things that you've been placing at the forefront of, of my, my heart, like help me to speak it to people that I care about. Like help, help me know how to do it. And so I'm, I'm admitting that to you because I'm saying I, there might be, I don't, I don't know how this is going to flow. I, I just know that I care. And I know that God cares and his word is going to speak and his word is so good. And 1 Corinthians 13 for the last couple of years has transformed my soul. Uh, so I've been married for almost 15 years. And so we'll, we'll, be, we'll be married 15 years this summer. And we, we dated for five years previous to that. So for, for basically 20 years of my life, 
uh, I've, you know, Catherine Mache or Catherine Skelton at the time, but, you know, Catherine and I have, have walked side by side and faced many, many things and been about 50 different people. Okay. So that's, that's kind of how this works. So if you're wondering what you'll be like in, you know, when you're 36 years old, probably 15 or 20 different people than you are right now. So, so get ready for that. But, but here's what I've, I've learned over those years is that, man, being all these different people, I've, I've had different, uh, whether it's philosophies of life, different viewpoints on things, or honestly, just experience pain. Like if you experience pain, it just changes you. You know, I used to be in business and now I pastor a church. So like, that'll change you, believe it or not. So that was a, a change in career. I, you know, that's not who she married. Uh, she married a guy that was running a business. So, you know, like we, we just, in terms of like over the years, when I think about love and, and when I, you know, think about how to, how to communicate it, I think, man, I've, I've been at least 15 to 20 or 60 different people since we've been together. And she's been that to me. I've loved every one of them. They've all been so cute to me, but I've loved all of them. But, but the thing is, is that we had to choose to love. We had to learn to love. And so what I did was I launched into this thing and, you know, four kids down the road. Uh, and, and, you know, and actually, if you don't, if you don't know me, uh, we actually have five children. One is in heaven. I have four children that we're, that we're raising. And, and so you get five kids down the road and, man, you have to like really, like God has to work on your heart to be able to teach you how to love like he does. And so I launched in a couple years ago to 1 Corinthians 13. It was, it's always read at weddings, isn't it? You know, like you go to a wedding and they're like, we're gonna, that's when we're going to hear. You know, thinking this must be, it must be about marriage. <laughs> that's what I was pretty sure. And so I read it about, you know, thinking this is how this is going to help me with marriage. And I'm not saying it didn't, it, it, it has, and I'll explain that in a little bit. But what I've learned over the last two years is that 1 Corinthians 13, is a, it is a love chapter, but it's love in a particular context. And then all the other ways that we apply it are just kind of on the side, okay? And what I mean by that is this, and, and how I ended up in a Loveology series, you know, talking to you about this tonight, is tonight we're gonna talk about love, but love in the body of Christ, love and the community of faith, Love and church membership. That, that's really the context that we're in. Not, not necessarily love and marriage, though it'll apply. Not love and you know, friendships, though it certainly applies. It, it's love and the community of faith. Love in the church. 1 Corinthians 13 has a particular context. And so if you got your outline there, the, the first thing we need to do is we need to know the context of the love chapter. And so I'm gonna give you a little details and hopefully... You'll, you'll be able to stay with me. I know it got dark at like 3.30 this afternoon and that you're all just wishing you were in your Christmas pajamas right now. But like, we can do this. We can do this. I told them earlier, we're, we're asking for the Holy Spirit to give us energy or at least that coffee we drank, okay? So we're, we're, going, we're going to do this. But <clears throat> we need to know the context of the love chapter. If you were to be reading straight through, and that's a good thing to do with a letter, okay? This has, this is a longer letter, but it makes sense to read a letter from the beginning to the end. Like that just, that's just how you read letters. You don't usually read like three sentences of it and then come back six weeks later and read the next part. You read the whole thing. And so if we were reading the whole thing, we would find a church body in uh, Corinth, Corinth, a booming city, okay? Th- this is, this is not, we're not, we're not talking you know, like if you, if we compare the cities where you're from, I'm sure some of you, who's, who's from the biggest city in here? We got any, is anybody from New York? 
No. Anybody from Chicago? Los Angeles? Boom. Okay, we got it. We got an LA. Do we do we have like an Atlanta? I mean, we got some, okay, we got some cities. Probably got some Dallas up in here somewhere. I don't, I don't even know. I know we got some Texas people. Austin, we have an Austin. So here's the thing. You know what larger cities are like. Now, some of them are just about unlike anything that you'll find anywhere in New York City. Uh, but, but here's the thing. For the most part, what you find today, if you go to a metropolitan area, is you're gonna find a, a, at least a decent amount of diversity you're typically going to find a, a decent amount of talent, okay? So people, a lot of times, they're not going to, and don't, don't, nobody think I'm slamming the rural areas, okay? Because I'm not. If you're from, if you're from little town, I love you, okay? Tuscaloosa's little. I'm from here. I'm from Duncanville. So we got a Dollar General and stuff, okay? So I, I'm not, you know, saying negative things, but here's the deal. Typically, you don't say, man, I am so talented, Look how artistic I am. I'm going to stay in Gordo. Okay, like you just don't use, you just don't usually do that. And no no shame on anybody that that's that's your deal. But you usually go somewhere where the job opportunities are, where there's an, a, there's the ability to use your gifts and and your talents. Well, Corinth was that kind of place. And and so what we find in Corinth was was a, a bunch of talented people with some privilege and and that are there and and some of them have believed the gospel. They, they've come to faith in Jesus. There's a new church, the church in Corinth. Paul is gonna address this church in this letter. And what we're gonna find is there was a couple of distinctives about the church. They were super divisive. That's not good for a church, okay? They were divided and they were super confused. Like they were, it was a confused body of believers. And so Paul is gonna address this, this group and chapter 12 comes up and I don't know if you've ever studied it or read it. It's fantastic. It's about the body of Christ and what it means to be a member and gifts in the body. And basically it goes like this. Every one of you, if you're a member, if you're, if you're in the body of Christ, if you've believed, he has space for you. He has purpose for you in his body. He's our head, we're his body. There's a place for you to work. In fact, you were born into this world. You came out of the womb with gifts. And then you came, as far as your spiritual birth, you were given gifts from God. So you got them from natural birth and you got them from your spiritual birth in, in Christ. You were given gifts. You were born with gifts both times. And God desires us to use them for his glory and his good and for the building up of his church. Well, chapter 12 is all about that. Chapter 14 is also about gifts and specifically the gifts of the, the tongue. And so you'll, you'll, you'll see, you know, if you read it, there's all kinds of things and warnings and stuff, but it's, a, it's in the context of gifts and talents in the body that we have the love chapter, chapter 13. And it, it, if we know the context of this, it makes so much sense of how we should read it. So when we read it, can we apply it to relationships, marriage, friendships, whatever. Yes, to your mommy and daddy. Yes, sure. Uh, but, but the context that it's most closely associated with is actually the context of the local church. And so knowing that context, let's now uh, read, read the text. And uh, we'll start actually with the very last, very last verse of chapter 12. <clears throat> Paul says, and now... I will show you a still more excellent way. What's that most excellent way? 
Chapter 13 starts this way. Let's read the first uh, three verses. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, in describing the context of the love chapter, we need to understand what Paul's saying is in this body of believers are so much talent, there's so much talented ministers. Like there's talent here. There's gifts here. There's people who have like the ability, like prophetic powers means the ability to speak God's word. I love the phrase here, and this is very... Pauline or the way that, that's I'm going to be that this is how Paul talks okay in in under it says and understand all mysteries and all knowledge that's another way of saying like an amazing teacher an incredible teacher of the word so like we're looking at you know someone who's speaking in tongues and when we think about speaking in tongues here I'm not even going to get on the you know the different opinions about that you don't Ain't nobody wanting to know mine tonight on, on that. We're not, we're not even getting there. What I want you to think of is this, is what we know from the scripture uh, about speaking in tongues. And so think about like Acts chapter two, think about the day of Pentecost and, and that the, the spirit of God falls on the people and, and the power of God is there. And they're speaking, there's all these people, diverse, diverse people, different language kind of people. This is like, I'm going to Disney World this weekend. Okay, it's like you're in a line at Disney World and, and you, got, you got five, six languages going on while you're waiting to watch Beauty and the Beast. You know what I'm saying? Like there's all kinds of things going, going down. Well, this is like people have come to Jerusalem to worship from all over. And there's different languages and, and, uh, and tongues. Well, God makes it where what happens? They, they're speaking. And yet somehow, even though they don't know each other's language, they can understand what's being spoken. And so that's where we get the first time that we kind of see this idea of, of tongues. And, and so what we see here is, is that Paul's saying, look, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, what, figure out what that means, by the way. If you, if you think you know the theologian that understands that phrase, just be weary, okay, about them. If they, if they say they get it, they probably don't. They just are doing the best they can. But he says, but have not love. He says, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And so it's got this person, they can speak in tongues. They, they can speak God's word with, I mean, pro, apparent boldness and with great clarity. They understand all mysteries and all knowledge. They have all faith. This is what's crazy to me. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, my faith struggles a lot of times. Okay, this person, it says they have all faith and it defines it a little bit and it says, so as to remove mountains. Like that's some faith, okay? Like that reminds me of Jesus's words when he's talking about faith like a mustard seed and even just that could, could move a mountain. Well, this is like, we're gonna remove mountains with this faith. I have all faith to remove mountains. That's, that's a lot of faith. It says, but I have not love, I'm nothing. And then this last part, seriously, mind blown. Okay. If I give away all that I have, and and some of you probably, does anybody have the NIV? Anybody have it? Just what does it say right there? The the NIV, Nick? 
Boom, thank you. Okay, if I give all I possess to the poor. So like I've done a godly thing. I gave away all that I had. So we're talking about like I went into poverty making a difference in the impoverished community. Well, that's a, I mean, that's, that's a big deal. Like I would even, I would say that's justice. Okay, so they're even doing justice here. And then it says right here, it says, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Like how much more devoted can you get to martyr, like to die for what you believe. Like that's the person, that's what we're talking about here. And Paul is saying this incredible amount of things, like, the, like we're, we're talking incredible faith, great teaching. I mean, they, they speak the religious language. They're, they're sacrificing their body to be burned. They're giving away everything to the poor. He says, but I don't have love. I, I gain nothing. I have nothing. Well, what in the world? Number two on our outline, I think will be important for us to uh, consider here. We need to consider your discipleship or your idea of discipleship and your ministry motivations. <clears throat> the, one of the goals, you know that, that's a, that's, a, that's a desire of our heart. When we gather together, we are asking God that through us, the disciples of Jesus Christ would, would come from this group, would come from this place, would come from as you leave here and you go to your dorm and as you're in your classes and you're spreading the gospel around campus and you're making a difference in your family and anywhere you go. We, we believe that from this group of people, the disciples will be made and are being made, okay? So that's, that's incredible. But given this passage, I feel like we need to consider what our idea of discipleship is and the motivations that we have for ministry. And so, Let's consider why I'm saying that for just a minute. <clears throat> One is this. So what does it mean to be a disciple? You know, I mean, what, like, you know, just at the, at the core, I mean, what, what does it mean? What, it, it, it's going to at least mean this. It's going to be that the person that I follow, I'm going to imitate them. I mean, does that, is, is that like a seventh grade definition? Like, are we good with that? It's going to at least mean that if I'm a disciple, namely of Christ, that I am going to in some way look like him. I'm going to imitate him. I'm going to follow him. And if I follow him, it would make sense to do the things that he did, or at least that he's called me to. And I would, you would think I would speak like him and that I would in some way learn to feel like him and move like him and all those kind of things. That would be my assumption. I think that's biblical. Well, here's the thing. What I've often found is this, is that in church, in the system of our gatherings, oftentimes the very heart of Jesus, the things closest to his heart, they're not there. Well, what do you mean? I'll give you one. I'll, I'll give you a very clear one. And it's gonna get foggy here when we look at this text. But I'm gonna give you one. Jesus Christ always was dedicated and focused on the poor. Always. And the gospel message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom of Christ, it was always, it always is, it always will be part of very few church bodies to the poor. And yet I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, I've seen very few, very few church bodies, including this one, that has space for the poor. We, we need to consider our discipleship, don't we? Well, this person actually even has bent their life toward the poor. 
So they're even doing things. Like nothing on this list seems to be outside of what I would assume a disciple would look like. Except for they don't love. Like how far can we be from Christ if we do the things even that he's called us to do without love? So a little help here. What, what did Jesus say? He said the, the greatest commandment, you know, we're, he's trying to get caught up in this little, you know, situation. God comes up to him. What's the greatest of all commandments? What does he say? He says, love the Lord your God with, with everything. And then what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Paul, a disciple of Jesus, he writes and says, the entire law is summed up in this word, to love your neighbor as yourself. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he says, let me tell you, the royal law looks like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. They're assuming love for God in that. But what I'm saying is this, is the very distinctive of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus is love. Love for God and love for your neighbor, including yourself, loving yourself. And here's the thing, we must consider our discipleship because what I see here in the first three verses is at least a picture and what I see described in chapter 12 and chapter 14 of Corinthians, of of the church in Corinth, is this, is they were a incredibly talented group of ministers without love. So I think it's possible that we could help you to be a disciple, even go into ministry and yet not be motivated by the love of Jesus. You could probably be successful and yet not even be motivated by the love of Jesus. That's what it appears here when we read this. And so it's so important that we consider our discipleship. Jesus Christ has literally called us to love our neighbor as ourself. That is a main forefront of what it means to make disciples of Jesus. He says to make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. He says to, you know, all the things I've commanded you over and over again, this is what I command you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. This is how you'll be known as my disciples, by the love that you have for one another. He goes, he's, praise the, I mean, the most ridiculous thing in John 17. He says that the, the unity that the church is to have, the body of Christ, the brothers and sisters in Christ, that we're supposed to be so one, so unified that we are one, even as he and his father are one, that the world might know that we were, that the father sent him into this world. That the, I mean, that the disciple-making strategy is to be so reconciled and so unified with each other in Jesus Christ that you're one in the way that the Father and the Son are one. That, that involves love. We need to consider our discipleship. Loves are distinctive. Like that's what sets us apart. And in a very theological society, it needs to be. I mean, look, we need to be people of this book right here. I'm telling you, I'm not saying something other than that. Some people, I've heard people kind of make this assumption that I'm trying to, that I'm sometimes saying that, don't, well, don't worry about, you know, this as much. Just worry about love. That's not what I'm saying. What, what I'm saying is, is, is this, is that the gospel of Jesus is a gospel that most clearly expresses love to us. It shows us the clearest expression of love and calls us into a life of God in us to love. That's the way we're distinct. 
is by the power of God in us to love our neighbors like we've been loved by Jesus. That transforms the world. Loves are distinctive and love is the more excellent way. Like that's what he calls us to. And so consider your discipleship and your ministry motivations. A a quick picture here I think is in the text. Uh, And it's gonna be a little different than what I shared. If if you're here on Sunday mornings, I actually used this text the other day and and, and illustrated from it. I'm gonna illustrate a little different this time. It, it, It says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. There was something that I've, I've learned over the past few days, actually, when studying this text, is, is that in the, in the context of Corinth, what you find is a, a lot of expressions of, you know, of, of what worship looks like and, and who God is. And so you would have you know, pagan temples and you, all kinds of different faith groups and you know, ways that people would seek God. Okay, Well, one of, the, one of the things that was normal in the culture was this, is it was to after the worship or after the praying or the seeking or you know, sacrifice to the gods or to the God, whatever they were doing, they would, they would go outside the temple. They would wear you know, particular kind of clothes that stand out, religious garments, and they would play gongs and cymbals. And so, I, I mean, I, I could ask this to you. I know I'm not expecting you to actually, it's a rhetorical question. But, but like, why, why do you think that you would get a gong and beat that thing in the street after you worshiped? I mean, whose attention do you think you would try to get? God's. Like the whole point was, is that I'm gonna play this loud enough that I'll be noticed, that God will see us, that he'll hear us and he'll respond, or the many gods will hear us and respond to our needs and our prayers. Paul is now making a connection and he's saying, listen, let me tell you, when you do all of these things apart from love, your motivation is clearly because you think it's a gong and symbols that you're beating for God to notice you and see you and accept you and approve of you. And I just want you to know that just won't work. That, that's not the outworking of the Holy Spirit in our life and the gospel in our heart. It, it's, it's not that if we will devote ourselves to, uh, you know, if we give to the poor, God will see us and then he'll approve of us finally. Or, or if we, you know, learn more, know more, do better, that he'll love us more. He'll finally approve of us. I want you to know, there's nothing you can do. Like if you, if you are the most obedient you've ever been in your life, God's not gonna love you more. If you make the dumbest decision in all of your little history, listen, he's not gonna love you less. The, the God of the Bible and the way that he loves, he loves us in such a way that Jesus Christ, while he was crucified, while he's nailed to a cross, which is the epitome, I think, of just disgracing God, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Like the heart of God and the way he loves is not one that you need to you know, hit a gong so he'll notice you. God created you and he loves you. He knows where you are. That's where he'll meet you. He loves you. All of the expression us to be able to love our neighbors. All the ministry opportunities that we have, they're just ways for us to get to serve God by loving one another just as he's loved us. So if ministry is the end, then we missed it. 
God's not impressed with our devotion to his word. God uses his word to draw our hearts to his beauty. It's in his word that we find that we're just loved. We're loved, as Tim Keller says, because we're loved. It's not because you did something else. My goodness, I want you to be a disciple who looks like Jesus and loves recklessly. But I don't ever want you to be a person that thinks that you love to get God's approval. I think we must consider discipleship in our ministry motivations. What's your motivation to love? What's your motivation to serve? Is it because you think you're earning God's favor? Because tonight I need you to hear God loves you. He accepts you. He approves of you and his son. Every good work in his son is given to you. Like you're safe. You're secure. There's only hope in his love for you. With that, I want us to see number three. See love defined. This is so important for you. This has been for two years. I've just been focusing on this. Love love is not something abstract. It's not something we just try to figure out what it means or I have to interpret through, you know, a song that I listened to or, you know, a movie that I watched or a feeling that I had in my my heart. I, I, I don't have to define it by those things. In fact, it really doesn't work to define it that way. I can define it based on God's word. I can define it on what he's giving me. He defines love for us. And so I want you to see what he says love is. And when we see what love is, we also find out something very important. We find out what love is not. So I want you to see love defined, starting in verse four. Love is patient. It's another word for long suffering. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast you guys, that says, that's saying love is not jealous. All right, how many of you, like you got, like somebody that you even care about deeply, but you, you've been a little jelly before. You've been, you been there? Okay. Like God's jealous in a way that's holy. It's right, it's set apart. The jealousy here is envy. Like, like I'm, I'm crushed, I'm, I'm hurt, I'm bothered. I'm angry because of what somebody else has. That's not that hard of a place to find yourself in. But that's not the definition of love. Love doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not arrogant and it's not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things and endures all things. Love never ends. I want to to read for you. I love the way the NIV says this. Translation's kind of hard here. I I studied the best that I could. It's pretty difficult, honestly, and and a lot of Texas, Texas, a lot of text that you study, you'll you'll find that if you really, if you really dig, like you'll find like it's harder to translate it into English than what you'd want it to be. And I, I think both of these Groups did a, did a good job, okay? But I, I love the way the NIV does here, and I, I don't always say that, but here's, here's what NIV 
the way it translates it here in verse six. Love does not delight. Well, actually, hold me go back. Verse five. It does not dishonor others. It does not. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. Think about this. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. I guarantee you, you know what love, you know, apparent love looks like and they're not protecting you. They're not caring for you. They're not covering you. Love protects. It always protects. That's amazing. And I love the way the NIV says it. Love never fails. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of time I've sat with somebody walked out. I, there is no doubt there's somebody, and I don't, I don't have a thought in my mind right now. There's somebody here that like your story has in it. They told me they loved me and they left me. They told me they left me, they loved me, but it ended, it failed. Love that is defined here, it never fails. That's crazy, love defined. I want to encourage you, not just now, like we you know are in a few discussion questions that honestly probably are not that I'm not I'm not the best writer ever, so they're probably not even good questions. But I want you to consider these three you know verses four through seven when you get home or during the week, and just think about this. This is what love is. This is how it's defined. But I don't want you just to see love defined. We're about to get deep, okay? I want you to see or embrace love personified. I don't want you just to see love defined, but embrace love personified. I'm gonna give you a quote. I put it on there. It's one of mine, so sometimes it could be really confusing. So we're gonna, we're gonna try over here, but here it goes. Before love can be a list that we go and do, love must be a person that we encounter by grace. One more time. Before love can be a list that we go and do, love must be a person that we encounter by grace. When we talk about following Christ, when we, when we talk about living lives of love, or uh, when we talk about, you know, like, like it's easy to look at this and go, okay, I'm gonna evaluate all of my life and, and every time I say I love by, by what this says, and you should, okay? And so a way of accountability to God's word is gonna go something like this. I'm, I'm gonna, I was, I was rude last week. Okay, so I'm just gonna put it out there. I was rude last week. Uh, two sweet people in my household, okay? Namely my wife. I was rude. When I was rude, guess what I was not doing? Loving her. I wasn't loving her when I was rude. If I'm arrogant, I'm not loving somebody if I'm arrogant towards them. I'm not loving someone if I'm jealous, if I'm against them, if I'm bitter, if I'm the, I'm not loving them during that time. So it's appropriate to see this in, 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 as accountability. Like, okay, that's, that's not love. I must repent. I need to change. I, I, don't want, I don't want to treat somebody that if I say I love, I, I want to be patient and kind. I, I want to treat them the way I've been treated by the Lord. But here's the thing. 
I think before we can do that, before we can apply God's word in that way, before we can use it as accountability in that way, we need to see the way we've been saved is by this kind of love. And the way Paul writes here, he does kind of personify it. Like he, he writes like, like love will never fail you. Like you can trust love, it's trustworthy, it, it's, it's always there. It's good. But I think when Paul's writing, he had to be thinking about a person. And he had to be thinking about Jesus. And, and so for at least a few minutes, let's please just, just consider Christ. Let's consider his attitude and his ways and, and his words and his cross. Because what I'm going to tell you is this. Look at the, the first two uh, lines underneath embrace love personified. It is that you're going to have to understand love is a choice. You choose to love. Love is a choice. Like it's going to be you that says, okay, I'm going to be patient. Because it's not always easy to be patient. In the body of Christ, in the community of faith, it's going to be really hard to always be patient. With, with leadership, uh, with, with your friends, with people who might even be semi-enemies, at least the way they treat you, it's possible. That, that could happen in the faith. It was happening in Corinth. They were church. You know, this is God's people. And, and love is a choice that we make to choose the more excellent way. Is that I'm going to choose to love. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. In this way, I'm going to say, in your life, make it. I, I pray that you will be people when given the choice you love. That's a prayer that I do pray for you and for our church body. When you got a chance, when you're given the chance, you're gonna love and that you'll be people who love and you'll be generous and gracious and kind, that you'll care more about being kind to somebody than being right. That's a difficult thing to learn. That you'll love somebody before you'd embarrass them. That you would love somebody before you held your knowledge over their head that you would be people who make the choice to love. But here's the, th- here's the problem with that. Outside of faith in Jesus, that choice doesn't matter that much. And so it's not just a choice. Love's also a response. It's a response to what's been done to you, what's been given to you, what's been shown to you, what's been displayed before you. It's the grace of God like freely lavished upon your life. It's the work of Jesus in your place. It's, it, look, before you can neighbor somebody the way that we're called to, you, you're gonna have to have experience being neighbored by Jesus. It doesn't mean you can't do good works. It, it, and listen, I'm gonna go ahead, I'll, I'll say this. When you do good works, they're good works. Like, like, good works matter. I'm glad you do good works, you should. They'll make a difference. Uh, I want you to do good works. These good works here, even in chapter 13, verses one through three, there, there were still people who were poor who, who received justice, okay? But the person that was doing it to, be, to receive God's grace, oh my gosh, they were off. That was wrong. That, they gained nothing from that if that was their motivation. What, what, you, what I want us to learn, and I'm, I'm joining you, is to be people who we see the gospel so clearly, we understand so much who Christ is and what he's done, and we stare at him. We watch him. We follow him in such a way that we actually say, when we see him move, we're gonna move. When we see the way he talks, I wanna talk like him. 
When we see the way his brain thinks, we'll go, oh, he's our head. We should probably think like this. That that love, that mo- that's what motivates us. And all of a sudden, there's a complete change. It's a transformed heart now leading to a changed life. That's what we want to see. Love is a choice, but love's also a response. Look at C there. Love has an attitude. This is so important. Love has an attitude. When we look at all these things, consider a different passage. Consider Philippians 2. I'm not even going to flip there. Just, just listen. Jesus, the, the attitude of Christ is this. To count others as more significant than yourself. Look not only to your own interest, but in, no, actually it's look, no, I just said, I am going to flip there. Oh, I just said it backwards. It's, it's count others as more significant than yourself. That is true, but there's a better part and I don't want to miss it. Let's get there. Philippians chapter two, verse three. This is why you need better notes than I have. Philippians chapter, there it is. Okay. Do nothing from rivalry. There you go. Or conceit, but in humility, count others as more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, like your interests matter, but also you're to, to look at the interest of others. That's the attitude of love. That's what it looks like. And the ultimate display of this is the cross of Christ. It's God who is love on the cross in our place when we were helpless, when we were enemies, when we were sinners. We're, we're told in Romans Chapter five, these words, and I'll, I'll flip there. You don't have to uh, turn there, but Romans chapter five, verse eight. Can I get there? Yes, I can. I can do it. Here we go. But God shows his love for us. How? It says in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly. They're like, if your heart doesn't beat fast for that right now, like you're, you're probably not alone. But stare at it until it does. Cling to it until it does. Believe, cling, grip, watch. I just lost it. Watch him. Watch Jesus. Consider him. Embrace him. Know that wherever you are currently, that he meets you there. And he meets you with this kind of love, the kind of love that we've talked about tonight. A love defined in the way that we read. Love has an attitude. It's the very attitude of Jesus Christ. Remember that D, love died on a cross. So think about the, the actual you know, definition that we've looked at. And let's just think about Jesus and we'll, we'll begin to wrap up. <clears throat> love is patient or it's long suffering. I'm just gonna guess that Paul thought about somebody there. I'm going to think that he remembered the one that said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? Think about the one that was tempted just as we are, but he never sinned. I'm going to guess that that when he's talking about, hey, love means not to insist on your own way. I, I bet that Paul considered Jesus Christ in the deepest agony that anyone's ever known, sweating drops of blood in the garden, saying, not my will, but yours be done. I imagine that when he reads something like, not easily angered, 
or keeps no record of wrongs that he probably thought about Jesus saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. His hopes that he might have thought of one who, while he's hanging on the cross with two thieves that mocked him and talked about him and, I mean, the whole time, that before the night was over, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Like, what kind of hope is That's a love that always hopes till the end. It never fails. Jesus' love always protects, it always covers, it always endures, just like he said. It always will. We can always trust the love of Jesus. His love will never fail you. Nothing, nothing, Paul writes, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Not one thing can separate us. His love will never fail. So when we look at this, we think about the cross. Love died on a cross. And then the last thing is that love transforms the world through his church. Love, Jesus, he is, he is love, okay, in person. Transforms the world through his church. Our response tonight is this. I mean, numerous things. But one, one is this, is that we say, look, maybe I've never encountered Jesus. Maybe tonight, you know, I realize this is a, and this is a space and it will continue to be a space that if you're not a Christian, that you feel the freedom to be here and that you know that this is a place where you can explore and consider and, and you, can, you can consider where you are in your faith journey. Like, like this, this is a place that you should be able to do that. This is a people that it should be appropriate that you're here, okay? We're glad you're here and you're welcome here. But maybe tonight you say, you, say, you know, I, is love really like this? Is God really like this? Because there's some people in this room, because you're not believing this, you cannot forgive yourself. You, you cannot look at yourself and be patient. You can't be kind to yourself. You, are, you can't do it. You can't even express it and love yourself rightly, much less love your neighbor. You're having a hard time right now and it may be, and it just may be because God is saying, I am here ready to love you and embrace you in a way that will never fail you. That will transform your heart. It'll transform your life. Maybe not what it seems to be overnight. It may be the rest of your little journey. But I guarantee you, the Lord will do what he said. He will always bring it to completion in the end. He will never fail you. His love transforms the world that we live in through us, his church. He does it through our love for each other, through our love for one another. He transforms people's lives as we love our neighbor as ourself. That's, if we wanna make disciples of Christ, let's do the things that Christ did. Let's do the things that he does through his people. Like let's be who he's, who he's called us to be. And that's people who choose to love as Christ has loved us. I'll end this by reading the rest of chapter 13 because I think this will help you because I, I, I mean, if you're like me, you go, man, I am so far from where I should be. 
And I don't mean like in your morality or anything like that. I mean, I, I, I mean, maybe that's where you are. I just mean you probably are like, why don't I love more? Like, why don't I have more compassion for people? Why don't I have more love for desire to be with God? My goodness, like, why don't I want to devote myself to time with him more? I mean, like, I know I'm not the only person in the house that's like that, okay? And, and, and here's what 1 Corinthians does. After this beautiful talk about love, listen how it ends. It says, as for prophecies, they'll, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, and, and this is kind of difficult to translate, it, it, it could be like when Jesus comes back, really both things are true when I say this, it more than likely in the translation means something like this. When we're finally made perfect, when we're finally completed, when the wholeness that we always knew we had in Christ Jesus was here, like we were walking in it and experiencing, experiencing it. it. It says this, it says, but when the perfect comes, the partial, it passes away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. He said that like today, like right now, like in your, I mean, I'm talking like you go and you say, my motivation is the gospel. My, my power comes from the Holy Spirit. I'm ready to love my neighbor as myself as Christ has loved me. You go into that and that's your everyday life. That's, that's just how you live from now on. It's still gonna be like looking in the mirror dimly. It's still going to be like looking at the shadow instead of the real thing sometimes. Like that, that's just what it's going to be. Like sometimes you're going to miss it. Sometimes you're going to be off. And the Lord's love covers you. He's with you. He's for you. He's never against you. May his grace rebound you to love again. I conclude by praying the words that come right after this. Chapter 14, this is a phrase, the ESV has got two words. It says, pursue love. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this, uh, this group. Lord, thank you for each one that's here. Lord, I pray they know tonight that at least this, that the Bible teaches that they're loved. I pray they know that this guy up front is at least saying this Bible proclaims they were made in your image created by you in love, created by you with purpose. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the beautiful gospel of your grace and how Jesus Christ has loved us in such a way that he died in our place, that given the, the greatest picture of love, sacrificial love for us, and he rose from the grave and he's alive and we have power to know him and follow him and love and change the world as he has loved and changed us. God, I pray that we would join you. I pray that we would trust you and that we would cling to you in your promised word, that we would know that you will be true to who you say you are and that we are who you say that we are. 
Lord, that we would live in that and and uh, and pursue a life of loving as Christ has loved us. So be with this group. Change us today. If there's anybody that doesn't know you today, God, I pray you'd bring them into your kingdom. Amen.